Hi and welcome to Sweetman Podcast. This is Simon Sweetman and this is episode 15. Uh, podcast is me talking to people, you know, you know that by now hopefully. I go and find musicians, writers, artists, actors, people that are doing interesting things, people with an interesting story and uh, for this episode I reckon I've got a really good one. It's uh, Layla Adu. Now I've known Layla for a, sort of 15 years or so on and off. Um, I say on and off because she's one of those citizens of the world. She's been living in the States for the last five years, and prior to that, she's she's a Kiwi. She was born here, but um, you know she's she's lived all over the place, and she's been involved in a lot of different uh, musical groups and a lot of different styles of music. She's a singer-songwriter. Uh, she releases solo albums, but she's also an improviser. She's also a composer. Uh, when I say a composer, last year she was. Um, singing at, uh, with uh, Orchestra Wellington, uh, singing a piece that she composed. She was commissioned to do that. So, uh, yeah, she does some pretty interesting things. I also found out talking to her that she's uh, a touring member of the band Luscious Jackson, if you remember them. She's she's a, um, got a gig as a percussionist and backing vocalist for them when they tour. Uh, she also teaches singing in, in prisons, and she's still studying music. She's doing a PhD at Princeton. So... Um, She's got lots of things going on. So we just talked about that, really. We talked about how she got to to where she is, what she's doing. Um, we got into a bit of a conversation about mindfulness, how to try and keep away from the internet, um, how to monitor your time. Uh, I'm terrible at that. Um, she seemed to be a little bit better than me. So, yeah, I learned quite a lot. And um, and I really enjoyed catching up with her and finding out what she's, what she's been doing and what she's going on to do. Um, so I hope you enjoy listening to this. This is me talking to Layla Adu. I wonder if maybe we start with um, what you're doing at the moment here now in Webstock. Yeah, so I'm t- doing this talk called A Jeweled Net, um, Music, Mindfulness, People, Planet. And it's sort of, I think a jeweled net is like in quotation marks, so that comes from uh, a phrase from this from this Buddhist prayer that I sang. So it's, it's, it's got, a, it has this context of singing this Buddhist prayer that I was given as text by a great teacher, that's Jimmy Shaw. Um, and so, yeah, I, I liked that silly pun of net. <laughs> yeah. Because this whole net of interconnectedness, I mean, I, I think, basically I think that music is a really good way of showing interconnectedness. And that's because, you know, I relate or you relate to a singer singing about something. And maybe we interpret the words totally different than that singer actually yep. intended yeah, yeah. but we have this sort of sense of closeness like how can I have a sense of closeness with um, I don't know Prince or David Bowie or how can I have this sense of closeness but it's somehow music is this is a vibration that goes through our bodies it's such a visceral sense so I think that interconnectedness is definitely like music is a really good tool of interconnectedness I think that's why people are attracted to it so it's not this kind mm. of woo woo wafty thing it's like music it's punk it's hardcore it's there and, and it makes communities join um, and I think that you know it's been affected so much by the internet and I was like I didn't need to talk about the internet in my talk but I realized through just talking to musicians around the world like I'm going to talk at this conference and it, it, it just brings up these sort of issues of how our community has changed mm-hmm. and how our jobs have changed and how we don't earn money anymore really through music. So is this a talk that you've done before and that it's, you you sort of... No. Uh, no, okay. It's totally new. So you, it's totally new. Yeah. Yeah, right. I was just teaching a course um, in Australia, a uh, kind of workshop on mm. music and mindfulness at 
to do with sort of something more specific, performing um, plain song and kind of spoken word stuff. And so I, I guess that was just in my mind, that mm. concept. And mm. I realised that I didn't want to go too much into the industry stuff because we just can Google it and see our Facebook feeds, really. Or anyone yeah, can. Yeah. You know, everyone knows this, these resources. But you, it's interesting you're saying um, about... No, you know, people not making money off it and the industry changing. You you must have sort of got into music at the time where that was already starting to happen. And I yeah. guess with uh, a lot of your music, you're not trying to have a pop hit. And I am. Yeah. It just well, you'd like just to. Got really you'd like to. Taste in music. Yeah, 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 so yeah, it never yeah, turns yeah. into a pop yeah. hit. <laughs> but you've been signed to labels and you've yeah. had records released. And but you were still doing that at a time when I guess there were sort of diminishing returns around yeah. physical. But I was also there in that really crazy sweet spot of we could release music and it was on CD. Yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. the internet existed. And anyone could put a CD out. Yeah, kind of and they, there were there's some New Zealand bands I won't mention them, but that really reaped the benefits of that yep. because suddenly they're probably making I don't know ten bucks a unit. Yeah, yeah. Where you would have made even a massive artist then would have made one dollar a unit. Yeah, yeah. So that they were actually that little sweet spot was more to do with CD sales and this in conjunction with the internet, but mm. where we have no limits on really downloading anyone can download stuff uh you know it i I i'm just saying we have no limits because i was in japan last year with lord echo and i noticed that everyone was buying records and the tower records are still there Mm. and hmv and that stuff you're like hey they've still got in the same records i asked someone um a professor at princeton actually called noriko manabe she's a musicology professor and she writes about dj culture and stuff and i just we were just having coffee and i said why do people still buy records in Japan? Mm. She said the government made it illegal to, to download, which it did everywhere, but they, they went along the with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so people still buy yeah, albums, right. and there's still record stores. Mm. And um, yeah. And then they rip them to mini-disc, <laughs> probably <Yeah>. still, <laughs> for portability. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, people still have that access that way. Right. So yeah, it, it's really, really changed, and I don't think, it's not as simple as it just kind of went away. It was that we, I don't know, it, people started taking, and once you have something for free, you're unlikely to start paying for it. Like, I think about it, you know how when we were, like, kids, we had school books, and you mm. Duracell your school book, and there's, like, with, I don't know, I used to do that kind of alien yeah, Duracell yeah, yeah. school book, yeah. and you have that plastic wrap, yeah. yeah, the Duracell, and you, like, there's a bubble of air under the Duracell, yeah. and you're like, if I push it over there, the bubble just pops over. And I feel like people think that about music. They're like, yeah. oh, there's money in music. And so surely it's going to, everyone says, oh, you know, at dinner, like, oh, there's money in music. Surely it's going to pop up somewhere else. It's like, <laughs> no, it's not. People mm. figured out that they could get it for free, and mm. they're getting it for free. It's not popping, that, that money's not just going to magically pop up. Mm, mm. So when did you kind of um, work out that you needed to do some other things around just writing songs and putting them on a CD? Yeah. And, you know, when did... I guess in a way you were always doing that because you've been involved in a bunch of different, I guess, strands of music and performance and and turning up at shows where it wasn't about getting... Well, again, it'd be nice if several hundred or thousand people walked through the door, but... It could be just as rewarding if 12 people came and paid a kohara and enjoyed it, right? So yeah. I guess you were always doing that, and so yeah. there was um, a realistic expectation around doing it. But how have you sort of fallen into, or how have you sort of fallen into talking at Webstock? Yeah, um, I think through, through, the, through the many different things I do, 
then you become this kind of anomaly that people are interested to talk to because mm. it's like I teach, you know, I'm at, pres- at Princeton and I teach at prison and I'm just doing these kind of weird bunch of things where I think mm. people are like, who is that weird person well, that's doing what, that stuff? What, what I, wa- <laughs> I guess what I want to do, and maybe we should go right back, is because I want to find out how you got into the, into those roles and I think like we probably, like I feel like I've known you for about, f- we probably met 15 years ago or yeah. so. Uh, and so I've been fairly aware of what you've been doing since then one way or another but um, they'll, you'll be able to fill me in on some things I've missed but um, let's go back to where you grew up and when you got attracted to performing, to writing, to playing Yeah. so why don't we go there yeah okay so it, there's, <laughs> there's a pretty basically I've always I kind of remember always doing music but I wasn't necessarily serious about it um, I learnt piano at the age of 10 and I didn't practice that much. So basically you can skip forward to high school where I had a really great teacher called Mr Langdon at Christchurch Girls High School. And he he was just one of those dogged teachers that would like make you come to all the different stuff. Like mm. come to a concert band, come to orchestra. And so I was playing bassoon and clarinet and electric guitar. I had a band, you know, I was in all these different bands. Every day I had a different group to go in and you know, one of them was my band where I played really bad guitar, and I still play bad guitar. Um, and yeah, I had lessons in it. I guess it was a really fruitful time for just seeing all the different things, but I didn't know you could be a composer, right? I didn't really know that was a thing. Mm. And so he said to me, I'd come along with this music that would be like, like from crazy type signatures and crazy chords that I'd write on the piano. And he said, what are you listening to? You listening to Bartok and stuff? I was like, nah, I don't know. And so he was like, after a while of doing well in music at school, he said, you really should think about going to university to study composition. And I don't, honestly didn't know you could do that. And so then I just looked into it. So what it. were you listening to? What was going on? Well, he showed us some stuff. But as I, yeah, I mean, earlier on, the only weird stuff was through my uncle, Pip, who just had a kind of funny taste, was into like Nina Hagen and, and Frank Zappa. So mm. I would dub those tapes illegally dub them (laughs) or he would dub them and um, yeah that kind of that's the weirdest stuff really that I got into is probably like Nina Hagen or Frank Zappa yeah Yeah. which is nowhere near as weird as we you would have got to and nowhere near as weird as some other people but depending on age and stage that can still be quite quite out there right yeah yeah at least different time signatures and that kind of stuff I was always really attracted to someone like Zappa I guess particularly that genreless reach that he has yeah. you know that there is a there's classical albums there's jazz albums there's yeah I think and then like there's the all line. the other forms that he's playing with within that yeah yeah I was just talking to David Long actually and he said he was always attracted to we were, I was singing Carmen in the car and he said he was always attracted to those kind of oriental sounding kind of um, melodies and I think I was too I've always been attracted to like James Bond just the kind of the kind of composition that has weird harmony or weird mm. rhythms. I've mm. always been interested in that. So that definitely brought me on to doing that. So I've definitely never tried to make weird music. I just mm. had an ear that liked that stuff. Mm. And I was really interested in being able to orchestrate it and make it for other instruments. Not really to be a composer in mm. quotation marks, mm. just to like, I guess, use different kind of timbre. So studying composition happens where victoria that's up here yeah, yeah. i chose victoria because at the time it had a great reputation and i yeah. kind of want to leave my hometown which is yeah Christchurch. yeah <laughs> just wanted to get out of the place i was from you yeah know? yeah 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 just go and live somewhere else yeah see some other people yeah do some other things and so i must have met you sometime around or just after that no no so then i was like ah 
I'm never going to be an old white guy with a beard, but that's what a composer is. So I did a year of, of studying, and I was like, hang on a sec, I can't see myself as this thing. Mm. And I was listening to like, I don't know, Einstein and Neubauer and, and Gamelan and anything that wasn't classical music. I was just mm. kind of becoming more and more opposed to it. And I had never met my granddad and my family, and, and, and basically I wanted to go to Ghana and, and visit my granddad before he died he was 105 and I met one, met my dad who was in London he's Ghanaian so I and I also had been studying Balinese gamelan and so I kind of did a bit of um I went to Bali and learned for a month um a sort of chamber version of gamelan called mm. Gindir Wayang so I kind of I just wanted to go and actually just wanted to go and be a gypsy for seven years and do the lecture drum thing I totally didn't really do that but yeah. <laughs> that's what I meant to do yeah yeah <laughs> I actually ended up kind of working in London and like going to Russia with this crazy bar and singing there I did lots of amazing stuff but I basically I decided I still wanted to write for orchestra which is so mm. weird I don't know why I thought that so I came back and finished my degree at yeah right. <laughs> do you think you needed that sort of something rigid something you know structured to stop you from I don't know not going off the rails but you know, like everything else you're doing can be quite free, and you wanted this one area of discipline in your life relevant to. No, it's really as much as just wanting that tool brush, that toolkit. Yeah, that right. Tool you kit. can forget the rules after you've. It was just like I just wanted to. No, I just really wanted to learn to write for orchestra, and I knew an orchestra's not going to play my stuff. You can't just walk up to an orchestra and say, yeah. "Play my pop song" or whatever, yeah. or "Play my composition." Yeah. Um, Great. Here they have the sounds readings, the NZSO, which is a really yeah. awesome opportunity. But and I did do that and I loved it. And I just um, I got to do that, for instance, when I mm, got back. Mm. So it's just I, I really wanted that part of the toolkit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there was there ever and is there still now like a difference for you when you when you when you sit down to write a piece of music or, or when an idea comes into your head or mm. however that first you know, when do you realise, oh, well, this is going to be, this is going to go in this direction, or I need to, is there a point where you consciously think about that? I guess I usually write, maybe I I often write just thinking something will be a piano song, because that's, basically I write thinking that the piece of music I make will become alive in the world. And that is why I was a little scared off being composer at the beginning. Yeah. Because you can easily get into a state where you're writing stuff that's never going to be played or will be played once. Mm-hmm. And once is okay, but none, no times is not okay. It's not okay for me. So yeah. like, if I play a piano song or if I write it, I get to play it. Fine. I can go and play it at a bar or something. Mm-hmm. You know. And so if I get given an opportunity to write for a group or write for a film or write for a dance piece, I'll do it because it means that it will be alive in the world now. I'm not too interested in being remembered, you know. That mm. someone, you know, that way. I'm mm, more interested mm. in like happening now. That's the motivation for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, when do you finish up studying composition? It should be this year, but my PhD should finish this year. And I already the piece. It's like a it's a piece of music, like a major piece of music and a dissertation. So my major piece of music was blessings as rainfall, mm, rains mm. blessings fall. Um, sorry, that's the the title of the the text and the um, piece. Um, for Orchestra Wellington so the dissertation part is actually from interviews that I did in Ghana and analysis of uh, electric electronic music producers from yeah. Ghana so that's quite different than the music that I've been writing Hey and how did you feel about that performance last year? It was really good the I Orchestra actually, of, the, yeah, of the Blessings piece Yeah I really en- 
enjoyed working with that orchestra. Orchestras can be scary because they, you know, it's kind of an institution. And Orchestra Wellington was just awesome to work with because they're players that seem quite vibrant and into doing what they're doing. They're nice Wellingtonians and. Um, Mark today is a, such a great conductor because I was singing as well, so I couldn't yeah, really yeah, be yeah, controlling. Yeah. I had that's to, right. You're which, in a way like as someone watching it, like I was obviously aware that this was your piece that you created and took to the orchestra. But in that performance, and I, I feel like a lot of other people in the audience would have thought this. It was like watching you as soloist or you know as singer as performer and sort of reminding ourselves by reading the program that you had had this other very crucial <laughs> role. But yeah. that wasn't what we were seeing on the night. You know, yeah. We were seeing you as a performer. Yeah, it's funny. I've always, I, th- I feel like the thing, I think the thing I like about singing is that, you're, for me, it really puts me in the moment. And it's part of what I'm going to talk about in my Webstock talk, actually. Because mm. I, I think that if you don't do that, it's a crappy performance. I just think that's what's going on. That's mm-hmm. just my hunch about performing, is that you have to really be in the moment. And mm-hmm. it's the same with so many different things, like cooking, making love, going for a walk. Like, it's only awesome if you're in the moment. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're really thinking about something else, you're just not going to do it the same way. So who are some of the people that, you know, like there's always this trite thing that I've had to ask and, and interviewers always ask people about influences, particularly in terms of writers and stuff, but... Uh, were there formative uh, things you saw or people you looked to for that live in the moment thing as as a performer? And and are there things that you I mean you just referenced um, all walks of life and all parts of your life? So were there things that you saw and experienced outside of music that were like uh, amazing in the moment? Hmm. Things that you then t- take back and try and apply to when you're performing music? Yeah, I actually think it's the other way around in that that feeling of music and being in the moment it, I think of it as a kind of confidence it's not a cocky confidence where like you know mm. that kind of maybe slightly American like whoa I, I, I know something I'm that I'm you know just telling people that you can do stuff you can't do and by mm. the way I love Americans positivity and being able to say when they can do stuff which is something New Zealanders find really tricky yeah but that kind of sort of confidence of practice so knowing what it is that you can do so it's the same in mindfulness and meditation it's the same in music scales and it's this that's what my teacher often says like it's the same as practicing scales but you can really make an analog with any kind of activity if you're used to doing it and you've practiced it, then when you come to do it, it's not scary. Mm-hmm. And when I used to perform, it was scary. I used to get scared or feel really weird afterwards. Um, and after a while, I got to learn to calm my body through practice. And that's what mindfulness meditation does. You're calming your body through practice. So I think that they're, they're a good analog, but you can really bring it to any activity that you just really are in the moment doing. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same. You've done it before. Um, and so you know, oh, I can do this. You know, you don't give a car to a little kid because mm. they don't know how to drive it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you practice, and then you like come to that. So, I think that, yeah, that kind of confidence—it's partly that internal confidence of knowing what you're doing, and then as well, being in the moment is part of a good performance because you need that sense of risk. So yeah. there's all—it's this weird balance of like knowing what you're doing, but also having risk, so that actually the actor might fall off the stage or whatever that kind of that's the thing that can make the performance good you know otherwise it can be a little boring right so that's that weird element of like confidence but also being in the moment at risk yeah 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 um so you it feels like uh you know and i, I realized we, we were sort of talking about um 
not making money from releasing albums and that 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 sort of treadmill mm. doesn't exist so much anymore mm. for most people making music it's still there for I guess the pop stars that yeah are on the what's left of the major label thing and that but I feel like um you haven't been hugely prolific as a recording artist in terms of solo albums mm-hmm. but you've you've had all these other different things that you've been doing and contributing to so when do you do you have this urge to go um i need to do a solo album <laughs> i have one i should release it yeah I'm, I'm fishing because we were talking about this yeah yeah so yeah that basically yeah so every two years i would put out an album which for an artist is pretty it's pretty good run yeah um and so i put out four albums in that sort of succession and then um, my last album, I produced most of it myself. I got some produced in London and Mike Gibson from previous Monkey. I don't know what yeah. it's called anymore. Yeah. But he's still working outside of Park Road Post, I think. Um, all that. I, I made this new album and yeah, I got really stuck going, whoa, what do I do now? Everything's so different. And every mm. time I would come to a point of about to re- being about to release, I'd get sort of different advice from someone. And I think it's just, I think it's a phenomenon that is happening for a lot of people. I don't want to put, project onto other musicians, but I do, I do think that there's this, there's just so much music out there. There's so much stuff you could do. You could do Mm -hmm. crowdfunding and I often go, I could do crowdfunding, but then there's all these worthy causes that need my my help. And then, you know. Yeah, what are your thoughts on crowdfunding they constantly fluctuate yeah. i mean i'm probably more likely to give money to some cause like saving seeds than, sure. than an album even though i'm an artist um, and yeah, maybe yeah. it's because i'm an artist i don't know but i do buy album. i don't re- i don't really steal music so, yeah 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 no i ha- i just i constantly get asked to help share people that you know share things for people that are doing that and sometimes i i do and sometimes i don't because mm-hmm. you know I, and and then in terms of contributing to it myself I feel I don't know I feel quite conflicted about it and I've even had projects I've thought of doing and people have suggested that you could crowdfund them yourself and I don't know Mm. that I feel any level of comfort in doing that yeah and yet I'm kind of amazed that this model exists and you know like pleasantly surprised by it and 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 feel like it can be a worthwhile yeah well clearly it is some amazing things have come from it some amazing amazing things come from it there's no real, you know, there's so little money for people that weren't in that earlier paradigm of having record labels yeah. invest in them. Like, you know, some people say this, the new model is better, but I think often they're people who did have that past funding and exposure, or they're people that are earning really through licensing, and so mm. they're not really earning through album sales. Mm. But, um, yeah, I think crowdfunding is a necessary step, and I don't think it's the end point at all. I think yeah. it's just a necessary step, and I... I I think that the end point is that our economic structure needs to change, mm. you know, and mm. I, that's a big thing. I don't, I don't mean musical economic structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean yeah. the economic structure needs to change, and you know, musicians are the first with a canary in the mine. Yeah. But so many jobs are going to be lost to technology. It started yeah. happening before the recession, and it's just going to continue to keep happening to cab drivers, to accountants, to lawyers to you know truck mm-hmm. drivers mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of mu- musicians music seems like such a silly enterprise for earning money if no that's one's, what you want to do but no one there's so, you know, many, not many jobs are safe right? no one's at all sad about this it seems but journalists too you know no, I know. I, that's often a, <laughs> yeah yeah that's often something that i cite as a yeah, thing that's also going yeah, and yeah. you can see because they you are like a little it. after music yeah. right yeah yeah film yeah. little after yeah. music but it's yeah. but we, it's it's something we have to deal with and be adaptable with and just realize that 
with this massive gap between rich and poor, we need the economy needs to think of a different way. So like producing and consuming is not a financial mm-hmm. model that's sustainable. We need mm-hmm. to think of ways to invest um, in the planet. And you know, I th- I really think that my ideal world would be people living in food forests or urban forests with you know with food there mm. and creating and making art and having a happy life rather than busting their ass for 40 or 60 yeah. hours a week and I used to think that was radical and now I think it's just the logical thing mm-hmm. it's totally switched in my mind yeah, yeah 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 and not just in your mind like yeah. you'd be finding more yeah it's not radical it's like okay what, how's this model where like three people seem to get mm. richer and richer in the world yeah. how is that possibly sustainable it's totally nuts yeah yeah and we don't need to work as much because we don't you know we can't keep producing and consuming as much because we're killing the planet mm. so we we have to work less mm. and work takes way less work you know human work because technology is doing a lot of it yeah yeah and i, I i'm a person that works a lot so it's not because i want to laze around it's just because it's logic mm, mm. um so back to your album releasing it you've been sitting on a finished record for like four years maybe yeah. and it yeah i I think it it's something that really it just I just got really freaked out on the internet and what to do and feeling bad about you know yeah should I go for crowdfunding I started feeling crappy about that and then I was doing a PhD and that kind of took quite a lot of time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. as they tend to do <laughs> yeah um, and I've actually been sort of doing stuff like some friends make making remixes and made some music videos um, so Alex Duncan made the one that is released today and there's a couple of other music videos that are really awesome and then kind of treating them as like um performance art dance yep. pieces yeah. yeah 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 i was thinking that with that that latest video it's like it's a song but it's more than just a song which which sort of um is what the idea of a music video seemed to be and then mm. we, and then we lost that yeah you know even in those early commercial music you know the i guess the kind of first peak of mtv mm. you know you think of those artists that were very excited, you know, mm. and these were these were artists that were, you know, on multi-million dollar deals and didn't have to worry about things because someone organised a huge schedule and budget for them. But they were still very innovative videos that you know used great filmmakers or whatever. Yeah. And then and then that just sort of disappeared. And then now we're at this sort of we're seeing people doing some really interesting stuff again with technology and being mm. able to you know watch that film Tangerine the other day mm-hmm. and you just apart from the fact that it's a very cool film for a lot of reasons, you, you kind of get drawn into the idea that, you know, anything that seemed like a limitation in the making of this film, they turned into a, you know, an opportunity. Mm. Oh, we, we don't have a budget for costumes. Okay, so we're just going to make the story happen in one day so everyone can wear the same things. You know, yeah, like, right. they just keep thinking of things to... Yeah. We, um, we can shoot this on a series of iPhones, and if we do that, we can use the money that we were going to hire a camera with to, you know, feed everyone and get some decent extras in. They just kept thinking of ways to... Yeah. And so it feels like that's happening a bit with music videos now, yeah. that people are going back to this, well, we can, you know, this technology is there for us to use. We can innovate with it. We can do something interesting. Yeah, actually, one of the videos... I took a... Um, sorry, I keep munching around, but one of the videos that is for this album, the title track of the whole album, so EP comes out in March, but the album will come out in May, and the title track is one that I directed with a friend of mine. She's Nico Turner. She's a bass player for Cat Power. Um, and yeah, we kind of we came up with a concept and and shot the video and she edited it. 
um, and I was yeah I was in it but directing it as well mm. and uh, that was a really nice project all women like three two dancers and me and we we all collaborated and it was it was a really really beautiful project to do so mm. this room full of women just you know like making food and making music video was really really cool mm. so yeah I I think the video is really really important and in fact that's one of the reasons I wanted to sort of not sit on it but like just allow more creation to come from the oven before I put it out because it's just really important now to have to have film I'm just thinking as you said that describing that scene and that project I thought that's really nicely a million miles away from that worry you had at one point of Mm. I'm not going to be an old white dude with a beard you know like you (laughs) yeah and yet that's completely of course it's completely composing and creative and using those things that you've added to your toolbox over the years yeah i did a documentary like an undergraduate documentary filmmaking course at princeton which is really mm. cool i was like ah, oh, i've got still got time i love classes so i was like oh, i've still got time i'll take a filmmaking course as well um yeah and the, well, the other thing that i've been doing is is making sort of large ensemble pieces with voice or you know string quartet um harp and string quartet and I've got really nice recordings of them from Princeton, and I'd like to put them out. And I'm thinking, this is just speaking to your point about like, what have I been doing the last yes, year yes. since recording? Um, it's it's always almost that I've got these two mm. simultaneous bodies of work now. One is sort of more electronic, so the stuff that I produced in Ableton and that kind of stuff, mm. since like Moogs and Junos, and the other is this um, um, large ensemble classical stuff that you know kind of peaks at an orchestra piece. So. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'd make that into an album or but not. do you worry at all as part of the anxiety at all with not releasing this album that's been around ever been, and or do you think about now, you know, are you much of a different person than you were four years ago and is that reflecting a time that's not relevant to you now or anything like that or...? I don't think so. Or no. have I given you a new thing to, to no, worry no. about and bringing that up? No, no, I don't think so. Um, the only thing I'd say is that this, uh, you know, that album and perhaps more of my, uh, yeah, piano stuff is more reflecting on feelings and that kind of stuff. So it's quite a personal album actually. And because mm. I recorded some of it, like one of them I recorded in, in Berlin in my friend's apartment mm. through my Mac speaker. Like, I mean, you know, some of them are recorded in the studio, but some are really personal and close. Mm. Um, and since being in the States, uh, my music has more to do with social justice. So I've always had that element, mm. like Ode to the Unknown Factory Worker. But living in the States at the time of Black Lives Matter movement and all the police killings um, and just and gun violence, that kind of stuff, has really affected my newer music. So yeah, there's a difference. Um, it's not that I'm a totally different person, but it's that I'm in a different environment. You're in a different is, space. Yeah, that's yeah. really like, affecting me. Going like, whoa, what do I do about this? I have to mm. write a song because I don't know what else to do. It's like mm. so, so, my feelings are so strong about it that you just have to react. Uh, how long have you been in the states? Five years, like something like that. Yeah. And is it a good place to be doing what you're doing? I, don't, I feel like it obviously is, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. You know, I've lived in a lot of different places like Mm. different cities around the world um and there's just different things that are good like about the different places so you know london's awesome because it's so such a great place to travel from and just be you know around traveling around europe Mm. (laughs) is that an earthquake i don't know i feel like that might have been a really did you feel it oh yeah i did but i just thought there's people walking upstairs but now i realize 
Um, anyway, it wasn't it wasn't too bad or anything, but I just I was kind of yeah, yeah, I was kind of enjoying it. <laughs> yes, I you're, being on a yeah, ride. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not really supposed to say that now, but no. Um, sorry. We were, so we were saying about yeah. being in in the states. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, being in the states is really hard because of the horrible, horrible things that go on. Mm. But it's really great because people talk about those horrible things, and it's the Black Lives Matter movement that are acting about those things. So they're doing positive stuff. There's a lot more protests than you would have ever seen since the civil rights era, I think. Mm, mm. Um, so that's an exciting time to be there. It's very... I'm just impressed. Mm, yeah, mm. I'm impressed by what's happening with with action. And you seem to manage to get back to New Zealand a little bit. And often you've managed to, I guess, make it work-related, which is a great way to do it for a bunch of reasons. But... Um, is it really important to you to get back here? Yeah, my mum lives here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I have to get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's not just my mum. I mean, I, I do think of New Zealand, the country, as home. I mm. can't say that I think of one town as home, but I've just got such wonderful friends here that are really inspiring and just really good people. Yeah. And so they make me feel like it's home. And you're working with musicians, I guess, all around the world, but I've you've got some pretty strong musical connections with Wellingtonians and New Zealanders yeah. still to yeah. this to this day. Um, Lord Echo being a good example. Yeah. Um, what else? Who else? Ricky Good, yeah. someone he he plays drums and produced the drum tracks on a couple of the the songs from my new album, and I sang on one of his tracks that's going to come out on his new album that was also recorded around the same time. Mm, mm. Um, and who else? Uh, and Jeff Henderson and all those yeah, yeah. that crew. Yeah, improvised music community. That's that. sort of the space was where a lot of that kind of first took flight. You know, those yeah. obviously those people were. Um, I think a lot of them were obviously connected through music school, jazz school, and so forth. But the space was the first kind of physical space where people got to see them and where yeah. they got to kind of form these um, projects and musical friendships and test them out. And yeah, it, I used it, to volunteer there and I went every yeah. single day pretty much to yeah. shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just sort of thinking like a lot of the people involved in that, um, you know, um, have very nicely kind of permeated the mainstream sort of very subtly with time. Yeah. You know, pe- you know, people like Chris O'Connor. Yep, and Tom Corwood yeah. and Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and lots of others, and you know, um, but you know, Ricky is a good example too. Yeah. Um, and and yourself. Yeah. You know, but um, what what um, Ricky told me that um, working on your Cherry Pie album mm-hmm. was, I think, I can't remember his exact words, but words to the effect of, it was the most hit at that point anyway, and I, he still looks back on it very fondly as being, it was like the kind of perfect idea of making great music. It was the most connected to making really great music that he felt. Do you do you look back on these past, you know, in complete contrast to your idea of living in the moment, do you look back on any past recordings and go, wow, that was something? Yeah, I did actually. Because uh, I was thinking, I was hanging out with Dave Long and his family and Dave, you know, produced that album and mm. he's such a good friend now. Um, and I just thought, wow. You know, we got Creative New Zealand funding for that album. Mm. And, you know, I don't... I, every time someone gives me money for anything, I'm, I'm really grateful and I don't think it will ever happen again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just like, whoa, that's so cool. I got to make this amazing album with this amazing producer. And a few people have said, like, how did you guys get to know each other, like me and Dave? And so 
it just it we the story just came back and it's that Chris O'Connor said oh there's this girl Layla that wants to make an album and she wants to talk about producing that with someone and so mm. the, the process started there and it was just such a great process because it's the only album I've had time like Steve Albini album I recorded that in 24 hours maybe yeah Staying at Electrical Audio, yeah. drinking way loads of coffee and eating tacos. So, like, my, my yeah. vocal performance is, like, there's a slow song, but my heart is beating so fast. Yeah. Like, it was a really weird performance of one of the songs because I just, just could hardly breathe because I was yeah. so hyped up yeah. on Steve Albini Coffee, <laughs> which is really sweet and strong. So, yeah, it, it was the only time I've had the time to really work with a great producer, and I think... That I think that's the thing that we will miss from now on. You know, mm. there won't be a Brian Eno anymore. And yeah. he apparently, he said, Dave was saying that he says that it was like whale blubber or something. Like, you know, people used to use whale blubber for, mm. for um, lipstick and these different things. Eno says that yeah, and yeah. then it went away. So, you know, then they didn't need it anymore. And it's just the same with that. I think it's the same with that sort of producer model of having a great producer. Like, only the very lucky will get to work with a producer now. Yeah, yeah. And it's about all those things that the producer brings with them from all of their past experiences. Yeah, right? and just like, as a vocal, for, for a vocalist, like, as I say, I'm in the moment, so if yeah. I have to press record even, yeah. that's just taking me out of the moment, yep. just that little bit. If someone else is doing, like, they say, don't worry, you sit there, maybe do it a, do it again, but mm. just with a bit more X thing. So Directing you, really. It's like uh, a film director. So, um, and since you mentioned him, and you, you, you said it, the whole thing was done so quickly, but was there anything... Um, positive and great that came out of the Steve Albini uh, work mm. or was that it was an interesting experience I think he was a really cool guy because he yeah. kind of get people get I don't know people think he's going to be a real yeah, oh, yeah. I don't know why <laughs> yeah. he's actually a really nice guy because I think with him <laughs> I think I, I feel like it's two things it's, it's that some of the music that people go and check out after they've seen his name on credits is mm is abrasive mm. and then it's probably because one or two things that he's written have been shared out of context around and around yeah. in circles and so I think people that haven't really spent that much time uh, listening to the work that he's done either as a recording artist or a producer or engineer um, arrive at that because that's the picture that they've muddled together yeah I feel like that's yeah I mean and he is a you know I don't I'm not saying I agree with all his ideas about releasing and that kind of stuff some mm. of it's true for sure mm. like I think where he says like releasing something's like releasing a, a fart or a bird I yeah. think that's probably true about the internet right now yeah um but other stuff he says like hey, I don't think he really takes into account that he was in that paradigm where he did have that promotion all that kind of stuff but, yeah you know, yeah um but he had to deal with the horrible side of it so you know I can't speak to that but yeah working with him it was a little bit weird it was a little bit like the Wizard of Oz when you see behind the curtain and like yeah. he was a great guy at what he did mm. he engineered stuff in such a cool way mm. and really like a pro at doing that quickly and just getting great sound out right now mm. where he put the mics in the room like sometimes it would be really far the way he um, but he, we, he decided it was, I think it was his choice to put one song on tech piano and I'd always sort of played it with a combination of harpsichord and piano, like on dual split mm, and keyboard. Mm. And he was like, let's do that on tech piano. So, yeah, he, he's really a great engineer. See, that's really interesting because he, he um, yeah, he sort of credits himself usually only as a recording engineer or whatever. That's his thing. But all of those he's things... He's being that, disingenuous. When yes, well, I was going to say, <laughs> all of those things that, you're, that you just described then very much highlight exactly what you were just talking about, the role of, uh, the important role of a record producer of someone who sees this 
bigger picture and, and understands how things can be, you know, a new context can bring a new life to something. Yeah. Um, and so he's obviously doing all those, but he, he sort of has the stance that um, I, th- I think from listening to a recent interview with him, he sort of has the stance that, you know, he doesn't want to be aligned with the idea of a movie producer. and Yeah, he's always said that. Yeah. And I suspect it may be partly because he doesn't totally choose all the projects that he you know he he, yeah. he does choose them but he he may it's a job cho- as well he does, it's his too. job so if he says i yeah. produced that album he may not want to produce that album i yeah, think yeah, it's partly yeah. just that yeah yeah like the singer that um plays in a pub on a friday night puts yeah. out an album once a year sings a jingle you yeah. know turns you know does all of those different things or yeah or the or the dj that you know goes and plays the corporate event while they're working on their own remix, right? Like, yeah. it's it's all experience, but not all of it wants to have equal... <laughs> yeah. Footy, footy, equal listing time on the CV. Yeah, yeah exactly. Some of it's a dirty cash job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I was thinking, when I was going to talk to you, I was thinking, like, um, you're a person who has, like, kind of these press quote CV highlights, working with Steve Albini as mm-hmm. one. You performed on Letterman? Yeah. With Luscious, with Luscious Jackson. Jackson, so I was like, let yeah. me be clear tell about me, yeah, yeah, yeah. backing singing and playing percussion. But t- t- tell, percussion. tell me about that because uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, Luscious Jackson are great, but yeah. uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and this was towards the end of Letterman's run, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm glad we got to go on. Yeah, um, it was. It's pretty weird, you know, when you're a musician, like you have to get this get this super early. Mm. And I actually have one of those phones that the alarm turns off if you try and switch it off a bit weird and it goes to airport mode and doesn't wake you up. Yeah, yeah. So it was like really important. We're going on Letterman and limo's com- limo service is coming to pick you up. And I totally <laughs> slept through it. <laughs> and I wait, woke up an hour late and was like, oh, 25 missed calls from the manager and the lead singer. I was like, holy crap. So... Yeah, I was re- it was a really freaky start to my day. I packed everything. All I had to do was put clothes on. Mm. But I sort of, I just rang up the band and I, I think it was Jill, the lead singer. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. They're like, where are you? And they said, I said, oh, I'm home. My alarm didn't go off. She said, like, go downstairs. The limo may still be there. It's like an hour later. So I went outside <laughs> to, you know, down my stoop mm. in Brooklyn and I'm like, this guy goes, are you And I was like, yes. And it was like this Russian taxi driver had waited for me. I was like, thank you so much. He said, it's my job. <laughs> and then I had a shower and went. And then we didn't do anything till like 5 p.m. Like yeah, every time yeah, you, like, yeah. you kind of get trundled out. Like it's sound check time. And then they're like, no, Paul Schaefer's got to do something. Go off. So like, yeah. can he keep going on and off and on and off? And like just, yeah, it was a very long day in a very small green room. Was it... Um another one of those sort of seeing behind like literally seeing behind the curtain experiences where you're like well this is i mean you're in a historic theater on a historic yeah. show but was it was it slightly underwhelming seeing the nuts and bolts behind it and um, i don't know i feel like as a musician you just get used to you that get used to that yeah. but it was pretty weird that was my first performance with them like since then we've played right. in different cities around the so states did, but it was on national tv and so I that was your debut with performance with them yeah i think i did know that at the time from from your facebook post but what um how did you hook up with them? Um, I was at a bar that the guitarist worked with, with Lord Echo, and a, like a New York label boss, and that we just started talking, and she was just like, I, it just came out that I was a singer, and she was like, oh, our band needs Oh, we need singer. one of those. And I was like, oh, who are you? And then yeah. it was like, oh, shit, okay. And I went and auditioned, and they were like, oh, you're like one of the best people I've ever had audition. And yeah. It, they're such lovely people. Yeah, wow. And, you know, it's been crazy, because you just forget, like, how awesome that is. Like, yeah. I was chatting to, like, Marky Mark about stuff, and he was like, <laughs> because he was, like, supporting us in L.A., and I'm like, oh, he's, like, the band, blah, blah. I'm like, what? 
Bob Ben. Not Marky Mark. Um, what a Money Mark. Money Mark. Money Mark. When you said Marky Mark, the You're picture right? I had in my head was of Money Mark. I, I'm I just, so happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so happy. But there you go. So I was, I was thinking, just like. Because that's that old Be- Beastie Boys connection, connection. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm like, hey. And so it's cool to think that those things still, you know, that's like us talking about people from the space and that still yeah. working together. It's. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Ben, blah blah," and I was like, "Oh, what Ben? Are you talking about?" And he's like, "The Beastie Boys." I was yeah. like, oh, "My God, yeah. I can't believe he's talking to me about that band." <laughs> um, so did you you knew Luscious Jackson before you performed with them? Like, yeah, but only knew about vague, them. only yeah, yeah, vaguely. Yeah. yeah, like, and yeah. a couple of times, like the craziest thing is what we you know fr- they're friends with um, the Breeders. Yeah, is it the Breeders? No, who's the who's that band? Yeah, the Breeders. Yeah, yeah, be. they're friends with the Breeders and like. So we'd just kind of go and have dinner after a show or something, and they'd come down to Philly. Like, a couple, there's these two women would come down, and after a while, one day I was like, again, they're like, oh, the band, blah, blah. I was like, what band do you play bass in? And she was like, the Breeders. I was like, oh my God. So it's crazy. That yeah, kind of yeah. stuff is just like, what? Yeah, wow. Yeah. So you're meeting these people, they seem like nice people. Yeah. And then they mention a band that you're like, yeah, I've definitely oh, heard, the best, I've definitely yeah, heard of you, or, or I love that band. Or, yeah. I know, or you know someone who loves that band hugely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think the thing with musicians is, contrary to popular belief, musicians are usually pretty nice. And They're not assholes. And like, pretty low-key about what they're up to, right? Like, Because yeah. the, the pursuit is actually that in-the-moment thing you're talking about, making music, like yeah. putting across a version of it one way or another, you know, yeah. if it's a TV show appearance or whatever, but it's, it's all about just putting across a version of what you've done. It's not about um, we drag this many people in there and that equals this amount of money. It's actually yeah. about uh, here's a song we are proud of or here's a set of songs we're proud of and we're going to try and do them justice, right? Yeah, so. exactly. No matter the level, I think, yeah, it's great, usually great songs, great performance, you know, and people people being nice and kind is part of it because if you can if you can work with somebody that's, that's a cool person to work with, you're going to choose that person. So you've done more shows with Luscious Jackson since? Yeah, we did a bunch all yeah. around the States. Yeah. And is that something that might happen again? Is it ongoing? Um, it's, pretty, it's actually pretty hard because it's such an expensive yeah. setup. Like, yeah. they really do have all this, you know, yeah, 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 the guitar the tech and yeah, the, yeah. You know, everything. So we only go when there's, like, a good yeah. festival or yeah. something now. And that, they're not recording new stuff? You haven't been... They don't record with me. I'm really a, yeah. like... And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah. percussionist. Yeah, yeah. So how how was that performing percussion on stage with? Well, yeah, it's funny because they just said I just thought I've never been a backing singer really, and yeah. so you know I've sung for other for like electronic artists and stuff. Yeah, but I've never yeah. been. A, but that's like in a featured role essentially. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, so I'd never really been a backing singer, and I didn't know mm. what it would be like. So I thought it might be a bit boring. So they were like, "Oh, we also need a percussionist." I was like. I do that too. <laughs> Were you just trying to get the gig or you already had it? No, I, I just, it wasn't to try and get the gig. It was really so I'd have more fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I do play percussion, but I play really crazy. I'm in this band called The Miseries, yeah. which is like um, analog synth and turntable, like but kind of broken records turntable, and I sing and play synth drums. Right. And they're really distorted and intense. Mm. So that's the percussion I play. They needed Latin percussion. So I yeah. just like listen to the album and then just choose that setting on my synth drums. Yeah, yeah. And try and play the right thing. Because <laughs> it was actually sounds quite a lot better with these other percussions. But I did do pretty well. I, did, I think I did okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was fun. Tell me about the um, prison work. Yeah, 
So basically, it's called Musicambia. It's a program at Sing Sing Correctional Facility where we teach incarcerated men to play music. So I know Sing Sing from um, the B.B. King documentary from really? back in the 70s from his performance there. Ah, yeah. And Breakfast at Tiffany's, I think they mentioned yeah, it. Yeah. Being sold up the river is Sing Sing. Mm. Up the river to Sing Sing. Mm, mm. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got these pop culture yeah. references. So I think that's where I, I probably first became aware of it from that B.B. King thing. But, yeah. Okay, so and... How did you? How did that come about for you? Yeah, so one of these large ensemble pieces that I wrote was played at Princeton by this wonderful group called Decoder, and the viola player in that group. I went to see him play in another group that's recorded um, some of my stuff on CD, which is called Useful Chamber. They're Brooklyn-based group, so I went to see them, and they um, they this viola player is quite a young guy, and he started this this program all by himself and he needed teachers yeah mm. and so he asked me um what what do, what sort of special skills from you does it require or what do you get from it what's what's different about doing that um so i teach music theory i call it listening te- techniques of listening so that it can involve i try and make it involve the things that I really use as a musician. Mm-hmm. So I think about music theory in the tradi- traditional sense, but I also think about what could actually be helpful to these guys if they're making a band or writing a song. So mm-hmm. I really try and think of it through my the different ways I've experienced music. Um, but the thing I've really learnt is um, the joy of playing music and the community that it brings and just seeing the men play music together and the stories that they tell us about how they... You know, they'll get together and have a jam with someone that they wouldn't have trusted before at all. Mm, mm. Um, and just how much they love music. And it really made me realise how we can take music for granted as musicians. Um, and I just really, I guess in all of it, I just really hope that I can love music more and that other people can too. And that that can mean going to see, just going out to see a band or playing music at home, even if you're crap. Like, it doesn't matter. Mm, mm. I, I, you know, I love the fact that you can just make stuff from nothing. Like, you just have a guitar or a ukulele or whatever it is you've got at home. Yeah, Or yeah. just your voice. Yeah. And make something beautiful. And it doesn't need to be for someone. It can just be for yourself. I was pretty convinced that um, I would never sort of play any kind of music again um, for a couple of reasons. Not, not, not because of um, the things that I write about people and that I've sort of got down that path of, of writing about music more mm. than playing none of that sort of really worried me I guess it was more sort of um, general busyness and mm. you know sort of lack of enthusiasm towards it and and just last year I sort of played a couple of gigs again for the first time in years and, mm. and got put in a couple of um, you know filled in for a band and had to learn an, you know established band had to learn a whole set list and stuff and it was it was amazing it was exactly yeah. what you're talking about that well actually for the last few years the most fun I've had playing music has been like um playing with Oscar who's four yeah ever since he was sort of six months old or so like mm. just making noises with um things we find around the house mm. and um has been a lot of fun mm. but uh, getting back into a more structured playing thing was mm. was amazing I just sort of yeah. went like I don't know that I need to do this all the time but mm. but I need to do it sort of once a year or so you know I need to have a have a crack at it mm. you know every now and then I need it in my life 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, because I'm talking to you, I mean, I, I really, I don't think it's crazy to say that music can save the world. <laughs> I do think that, yeah. because I think the more that people do stuff that just doesn't hurt anybody and makes them feel happier mm-hmm. and doesn't produce and consume, I think that's the stuff that humans really need to focus on now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can give your kids that as a as a gift, it's there's nothing more beautiful than being able to just play because it's connecting both sides of your brain mm-hmm. it's t- increasing your attention span it's doing all that obvious a, stuff that has, music's always done it has a, a physical element in terms of the exercise yeah. you know as well like yeah and so a, I mean, the, yeah the amount of difference between like if you play the drums I mean I used to play drums like a proper kit and you come out and your arms are like all buff Mm. That does. That's not going to happen from your kid playing on an iPad all day. And I was like, I'm not against technology. I'm not against games. Well, you're, and s- you're speaking at a technology. Yeah, exactly. So you can't be. And I use technology all <laughs> yeah, the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But part of what I think is that people need to have real intentionality around what they do with technology mm-hmm. because it's so easy for technology to dictate to us what well, how we use it with it, and we don't even. Think Think about it, and I'm not trying to be mean to other people because I'm saying yeah, yeah. I do it too. It's well, that's like, it. Technology just happens the, at you, and it's like no, it should be happening at it's you. It's become the distraction, right? Yeah, like, and, that, and then the distraction has become the default setting. Yeah. Right? So you you said before I don't play music so much because mm. of busyness and business, yeah. and I think that's what a lot of people deny joyful yeah. things they yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. because you're just making yourself more busy. That, now, what happens when you go camping for a few weeks and all the emails pile up? After a while, are there so many? Yeah, of Do you know what I mean? Like, we kind of create extra businessiness for ourselves. Yeah, totally. Because you were like, I remember when internet started, you get another email, you go mm. like, sweet, I yeah, must be more important. It's But it's not, it's just you creating... It's some sort of weird sugar rush thing, eh? Yeah, exactly. It? Like, it, it's do it releasing chemicals. That's you know, a really, really great analogy, because it's that sugar high yeah, that yeah, then yeah, goes yeah. away, that you're like, oh my God, then now I've got this extra work for myself. <laughs> yeah, like, I could yeah. have just been like playing my banjo on my doorstep, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, So it's, yeah. Like, it's like using... Basically, using technology for us to be happier, and I think the only way to do that is to have mindfulness and slow down. But also, it's that um, you know that that understanding what um, what relevancy it has, and 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 you, like you said before, um, you know, just making music by yourself and like understanding that that's valid. Like the the goal doesn't need to ever be, I'm going to get you know, air quotes, so good at this that I'm going to, you know, write songs and perform them in front of people. Or And, and it's weird that, you know, uh, you know, we probably think this is fine and standard, but it's weird that that is still the measure for a lot of people. Oh, you can't be very good, I've never heard of you. Yeah. That's sort of bollocks. And it's yeah. like, and, you know, I always got, I did get sort of levelled at me. I've had, I've sort of had people say, well, what gives you the right to, to write about people if you're not a good enough musician yourself? And it's like, well... I'm not releasing a record on a label that's getting sent to people to review. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not performing at the town hall and people have paid $60 or more to see it. I go along to shows like that where that is the expectation, so I get to write about it on that level, the idea that Neil Finn better be as good as he's ever been tonight or I'll say that he wasn't. You know, Layla Adu better be better put on a good show that I think is a good show, otherwise I'll be disappointed I didn't go to it. But, uh, you know, when I'm banging on pots at home with my son, the only people that have to hear that really are the neighbours, right? Yeah. Like, and, and there is a big difference. It's yeah, there is a difference. And I think it just gives us a relaxation that, okay, I love that pop star, or whoever it is, I yeah. or whoever is that jazz musician that I like that plays every week. And 
you know, you give them the responsibility of being good, as it were, and yeah, just have joy in doing music. For, for having joy in doing music for yourself is really important. It's important for musicians too to not. Then you don't get hung up on how it's doing. You know? But this distraction aspect has got me bugged because I was thinking. Um, I was watching the Super Bowl halftime show the other day, mm. and you know I don't like Coldplay, and I thought they were a strange choice for it. Mm. But um, when they were performing, you were just sort of watching it, waiting, going, "I know some other act's going to come in and take over. There's going to be a cameo <laughs> because that's how this is structured." Yeah. And I was sitting, I was sort of trying to analyze it, going, "I don't really care, but I want to, I do want to see what happens." And sure enough, Bruno Mars turns up. And then it cuts away to Beyonce, and then Beyonce and Bruno have like a kind of dual stage duet thing, and then Chris Martin comes back into it, and it was this whole like, let's throw everything at the screen, <laughs> yeah. which you know, okay, fuck, it's the Super Bowl, like yeah. it, it, that's okay. But I was watching it going like, you know, the Rolling Stones or Prince or whatever could put on a halftime Super Bowl show just a few years ago, not that long ago, and didn't need those sorts of distractions like they could carry a because it's only or Bruce Springsteen all of those mm. it's only um, 12 minutes or whatever of music mm. but we've already got to that point where people it's like people weren't prepared to watch one band for 12 minutes like they yeah. were waiting for and I say this I was channel surfing between yeah, that yeah, and the yeah. cricket like I couldn't you know no, and then it's also <laughs> even nice that you give the observation because as you say you weren't even into that band and you're still checking yeah, yeah. it out so that's fine yeah I, I, I but do you know what I'm getting at yes, like that, totally. that, that, that's changed in just a few years that that you know it, it is like this whole we've got seven tabs up on our screen the whole time and mm. we're clicking between them going entertain me no that's mm. boring mm. Oh, no one's written to me back so I'll go to this tab what's happening here mm. oh someone sent me that I can share that you know yeah. and I'm I'm more guilty than a lot at, yeah. at, at playing that game yeah so yeah that's why again like I don't <laughs> I, I think that mindfulness is the only way to deal with it mm-hmm. because unless you calm your mind your body down and notice like for me there's a kind of feeling in my heart like this kind of fluttery feeling like, oh I've got to get back to that or something mm. if, if you don't notice the feeling in your body then you will just get swept away and it's just the same thing your mind is doing so your mind is already creating distractions like oh I better go you know I'm walking along there to find something my wallet oh actually maybe I'll just go back and check the email oh what do I need maybe I'll write a supermarket list we're constantly doing this stuff anyway but the internet is another layer of a virtual mm-hmm. world of us being distracted. So the only way I think to get around it is to really slow down the mind and have, have mindfulness. And I think I think mindfulness practice is a really good way, like a sitting practice. But there can be many different practices, like yoga works. For people yeah, going yeah. for a one works for people, just so that you can sit and like, hey, be bored for so a second. <laughs> you know, like be bored. Like allow the boredness to come. Or if you're in a job like yours or mine. Well, you mm, do need thank, to go on. Thank you for calling it a job. Yeah. Most, most people don't. That <laughs> no, was but nice. if you're in a job like yours <laughs> yeah, yeah. or mine, where yeah. you go online and you need to be involved yeah, in the yeah, world yeah. of things, you better, be, you better be really on your game to not yeah. get distracted. Yeah, it's yeah. a work. So I, I use tool, I use technology. So like I'll turn on um, one of those programs like Antisocial or Freedom. Yeah, and just so that there's only certain times of the day that I can go on Facebook, right, right, or Twitter, or like I also have things where I'll like use the menu bar countdown, which is a free software that just allow counts down half an hour. So I'll allow, allow myself half an hour to do this task where it might be composing the oboe part of a orchestra mm. piece, or it might be doing my email, whatever, and then I'll go, okay, that's enough of that. But it, I think we, you know, 
once you're on there, it will pull you in down a mm. rabbit hole, and suddenly mm. you're looking up like Alec Baldwin's birthday. What What's your sort of um, daily or weekly regimes for mindfulness outside of outside of computer use? Like what? Yeah, well, I just get up every morning and sit for like twenty minutes. Yeah, and I just you know do the some, as a meditation. Yeah, a, yeah, like as a mindfulness meditation, and I use the practice that was taught to me by a Buddhist teacher. But you, I find whenever I look at other mindfulness meditation, they're usually taking that same practice, which is just have a respect at the beginning, can be respect for anything, but just an intention. Mm-hmm. Like it could be people or planet or your loved ones. And then um, the practice is sitting and watching your thoughts go by without attaching onto them and having you know your feet grounded and your back straight and your eyes level. And then at the end of it, just um, having a dedication to, again, to whoever that is, whatever you feel like dedicating Mm -hmm. the practice to. And I think it's really important because just seeing then, when I see those thoughts go through my mind, and that could be like food or whatever it is that's going through my mind or work or whatever, then when they go through my mind the rest of the day, I realize that they're just thoughts and I don't take them so seriously. And that's all it is. It's just like not taking that kind of deluge of thoughts so seriously so that when they're negative you're like okay whatever mm. or if they're positive you're like okay that's going to go away it's you know don't don't just don't grasp onto it and i think that is really necessary for people to be happy basically and also i mean a really important thing is not just getting better at work and being effective but also caring about other people and if you're really 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 stressed out it's hard to care about people on the other side of the planet or mm, people mm. who are poorer than you as we see here with the politics here it's like there's a lot of disconnection between what people are doing politically and what's helping people and and you know a lot of people are voting i guess to and not really caring about the poor people who are of new zealand who are getting poorer and poorer mm, and mm. You know, how do you how do you open your heart if you are just sort of on that mouse wheel it might just be harder you know if you don't slow down how do you have compassion for the people around you? Even, you know, it doesn't have to be in another country. It can be mm. here in New Zealand. There's people really struggling and they're constantly getting money cut from mm. what they're doing. So mm. Mm. it's like, how are we allowing that to happen? The frustration I have around that, the biggest frustration I have around that is that you'll get a person that's voted national, that's always voted national, that's just decided that's what they're going to do. And their justification for it becomes, apart from some family history that that was the way they voted they're a blue family their justification becomes well we've got it better in New Zealand than a lot of other places in the world you know and it's like well you know some people in New Zealand quite a few actually don't you know like and you're not you're not assessing that and or they'll say New Zealand's not as right wing as America for example so (laughs) well that would be pretty hard (laughs) well yeah but exactly but it's like it it's essentially apples oranges isn't it yeah. it's like you don't i mean you don't live in america you don't operate under that system so why mm. is it relevant to you and the big obvious thing i guess is that new zealand is such a wonderful country because some people put great checks and balances in place and mm-hmm. systems so that we could have free health care mm. and that we could have beautiful assets that are our natural assets and that we, you know mm. those were put in place and they're just constantly and consistently being taken being away eroded, yeah. so yeah like my generation can't buy houses, not my friends. Mm. And uh, so many people are in that position. It's like the baby boomers and stuff, they had, they did have it easy. They, they, and they know, I, I'm surprised if anyone doesn't know that, you know. They know it, they just don't like being told it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, no, like, no one likes um, being told that because they, pro- they don't process that as, you know, I, I, I said to someone 
the other day who who uh, in one of these podcasts who said um something about you know uh, stupid old white men and i said hey we're not all bad making it trying to make a joke <laughs> yeah. trying to make a joke and she and she correctly sort of said did you just not all men me and i was like no 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 you know like fuck i hate being a silly white guy you know we, we do suck doesn't mean that i do personally yeah but um you know like as a, but people don't like hearing that so people don't like going if they're a baby boomer they don't want to go yeah I had it a bit easier. I had it a bit easier. We're fucking annoying. Yeah, We've still got he... our stranglehold on the world. Yeah. And it's like, you do. Like, maybe not you personally, but yeah. the group that you're part of does. And you have to at least be able to see that. Yeah, and I'm definitely not anti that generation, but yeah. I think they must realise that they... Well, that generation are our parents, yeah, right? Exactly. For example, for, Yeah, and for they start. know that they... Yeah, that... It is, of course, I do know some people that do, that do okay now, but they really were privileged people in yeah. some sense, in some sense. Partly, mm-hmm. one of my friends in, in New York, a really wonderful poet, Ruby Brunton, we were talking about New Zealand and she she said we're privileged because of our education, and it's true. Mm-hmm. So even that, that we had a good, mm. just school education, mm. even mm. that, you know, that, mm. and it just constantly teaches. It's another place where I think that it's, there's always they're always under fire for funding, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're just yeah. trying to cut stuff out. Yeah. If, if kids don't even have a school lunch, how are you going to be a good? You know, how are you going to be yeah, a good yeah, student? Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, we really I don't know how people disassociate themselves from other New Zealanders that are doing badly off, and how mm. I don't understand the equation of borrowing more money than ever, being in such a massive deficit, because of selling off so many of our beautiful assets, and also having more poverty than there's ever been like that equation to me it's like where's that money going it's not yeah. if either it's going in tax breaks for some rich people or it's going offshore but with all that money there's, there's a really weird equation because the measurables are of success for people are riches and extravagance and you know um acquiring things that other people can't have that's ha- that's that's arguably always been the way but it's mm. n- more than ever now that's i mean even if i turn around and say to someone Chris Martin and Coldplay at the Super Bowl were fucking terrible. They were not good. It's not going to take long before someone goes, I'd like to see you play at the Super Bowl. Like, that's the only, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, 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 and it's yeah. like... <laughs> you're never going to play uh, at you're the never, Super Bowl. Well, you're never going to... He must be doing something right. He played at the Super Bowl. And it's like... But he was awful. Yeah. And I'm allowed to say that. And I can back it up with whatever. And it's like, it's not... It's not relevant to say you could never do that. And it's sort of like... That, that that becomes the argument. Well, I've got four houses and a yacht. Mm. Um, you don't need all of those things. Yes, but I want them and and I'm allowed them. And it's like, yes, you are. Mm. But then you don't sort of get to say no one else can be doing anything rewarding with their life mm. until they get to that point too. Yeah, I mean, I think we should think, just with the climate as, we, as it is, that we should think the way that they did in the Depression era. So if someone has like 50 yachts and they're using heaps of petrol and, you know, I can put myself in this mm. play, bracket because I travel too much. Yeah. Uh, that's bad. It's not good that yeah. I travel so much. It's not good to have a yacht that uses lots of, I don't yeah, know, yeah, petrol, yeah. whatever yeah. it is. Over-consuming is not good when yeah. we shouldn't celebrate it. Mm. It's just as we would in the Depression era. Because, era, the, because that's where we are now with global mm. climate change. Mm. So we need to really change our tune about like what it is to be an effective person right now. Mm. An effective person is someone who consumes in as you know, little fossil fuel as, as they can. It's also weird to think that, you, I mean, you've sort of said this, but just it does it does baffle me to think that people just decide that... Uh, anyone that's not their immediate friend and family already isn't worth thinking about mm. at all on any level. You yeah. know, like, um, and so people say things like, 
um, and they actually believe them. Like, no, 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 we don't actually really have poverty in New Zealand. Mm. We don't because mm. I've never seen it. And yeah. it's like how you could feel comfortable or even sort of educated on any level saying that as a worry, but why you would want to say that, you know, yeah. why you would want to believe that that's the, I really the truth d- yeah, is, I is really, frightening. I guess people surround themselves with what they're used to. I guess so. Yeah. But it's, you know, it, it just seems that, like like my sort of um, thought I had watching the Super Bowl, that this distraction stuff mm. is more even more you know prevalent now that it's expon- running at an exponential rate yeah it's it's like that with sort of people's um approach to neoliberalism and mm. you know the people that that believe in it and mm. support it i think you've hit the nail on the head really basically if if we don't have if we don't kind of enjoy creativity mindfulness cooking for ourselves just things that like basically slow us down we're all at risk of being that guy or that mm, woman, mm, mm. right? We're all at risk of going. Oh, I am just so busy today yeah. that uh, you know that I that I that I don't that I'm just thinking yeah. about my family and, and I, I could have more and more and more stuff. I could have my second house and mm. really start to worry that something's happening to my third house and you know. Mm, mm. So, I think that without slowing down, we can all we could all fall into that trap. It's a success trap, right? Mm, mm. We could all fall into that trap of not caring about others because the more you have, the more you've got to lose. You don't have a lot of stuff. You don't mm. have anything to lose. But the more that people have, then you're worried about the insurance and maybe someone made a scratch on my nice new car. It just mm. goes that way mm, without mm. thinking about it. And those yeah, people well, are not necessarily... It's proven, right? Like, there's only so much money. If, you don't, if you're under the poverty line, you're unhappy. There's, there's pretty hard to be happy, right? But then there's a... It's not a very high amount of money yeah, before... Yeah. It just doesn't matter how much money you have, you're happy or you're unhappy. Yeah, yeah. So why keep getting more stuff? It's just yeah. an addiction. Yeah, yeah. Um... So when's your album out that we can all buy? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that I can have my second house. So you're gonna you're gonna release an e- <laughs> you're gonna release an EP first. Yeah, an EP in March. And and how much crossover between those? None? Any? Um, I'm actually still yeah, I'd be interested still to see what you're saying. Out. Yeah, because what no, I I mean, actual song wise, will there be yeah? Yeah, I was gonna do it as a double a split album. Yeah, right. Um, but I think I might go with the older model of having an EP that cross that. But there's a lot of songs on the album, so yeah, there's cool. no need for it all to be on that. And so, what else are you working on? Uh, I imagine you have like you leave here and go back to the states mm-hmm. at some point, and yep. probably around the time this airs. Um, and then, what do you go straight back to work on? Um, so I'll be teaching, assisting that on and at Princeton and at prison. Um, I'm going for a bunch of jobs that like professor jobs in places. Um, I've got interviews for that coming up, and also just I'm I'm writing some music for cello that is for the sort of women's group um, called Ford Music Project. It's run by the cello this cellist Amanda Gukin, and she's really focusing on women and composers of colour and that, that it's it's quite a nebulous project but it's to do with um, domestic violence and sort of shedding a light on that kind of stuff mm. um, and another piece for Kate's which is uh, two women called Kate one's a concert pianist and one is a dancer choreographer and so I'm writing a piece for them on this new instrument called the bit clavier which is um, the bit clavier was invented by a professor at Princeton and he's a great musician and composer called Dan Truman and so I've just been like kind of getting into that software 
So basically, yeah. How does, of, it, how does it work? You what? There's an iPad version that people can just look up. It's bit, like B-I-T-K-L-A-V-I-E-R. Mm. Mm. You just like test it out. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna, you plug it in with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm wow. pl- using the kind of full version where you plug it into a computer, but I think you can just do it on your iPad as well. Mm. Mm. Um, but it's like a piano. It sounds like a piano, but with all these crazy different effects. So yeah, um, uh, and then I'll play some gigs around this album release and the EP release mm. yeah and I'm actually a, a project I'd be quite excited to start is one thing I quite like to do is to start playing pianos like just going and playing kind of pia- public space pianos but yeah, no yeah. matter what the quality yeah because I'm, I'm thinking about how to just sort of you know have these bigger projects but also kind of reset and restart and like I love just playing songs on the piano mm. um and I, I just, I'm really interested in bringing people together. Yeah, that idea of music in the public space and just... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just know it's no big deal, you know? Mm, mm. Um, do you know how the album is going to be released, is it? Yeah, so it'll be released digitally through Belts and Whistles, which is yeah. this tape label. Um, and we might do a tape release of it. Yeah. Depending on the EP. I think yeah. it would be, I'd be quite stoked to have a tape of it. Yeah. <laughs> You've done the record before. You've had vinyl. Yeah. You've obviously done CDs. You've not had a tape before, so no, you've got I've a never tape. had a tape. Well, well, the Miseries have a tape, which right. is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got to tick off. I, this is going to be a Layla Ado album. Yeah. It'll be under your name, so you yeah. need to tick off the tape. Exactly. Format from that list, <laughs> yeah. you know, so that people can consume more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> have more. And then I found from having a tape through the Miseries, um, emotional performance motorcycle. That's the tape yeah. that we released. Um, that people often just go, yeah, I do actually have a tape player in my car. Yeah, yeah, Especially yeah. in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> just pretty cool. So you give yeah. it to them and they can only put in the car, which I quite The like. rental cars too. Yeah. Like um, I used to, I guess it's changed a little bit now from when I was working in the store, but when I worked in the in the, in the CD store quite a few years ago now, I suppose, but um, we'd always get over summer backpackers and travellers and <laughs> desperate for anything we had on tape hey. because they'd got a rental car and they were going around the South Island, yeah. you know, and only had a tape player in it. Yeah, and I just bought a tape from the Dance Asthmatics from Christchurch. They're really cool. Really yeah, good. no. Great, great band. Um, the tape thing sort of, um, I guess the, thing that, the other thing that's cool with it too is buying them at gigs, you know, you can just put them in your pocket. Yeah. You know, like you can just, and it is that sort of thing of like, well, it's the price of, you know, a coffee yeah. and a muffin the next day or it's the price of, you know, yeah. Another, or it's built into the price of the gig or whatever. But, yeah. you know, like it's 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 easy to just kind of stash and, mm. you know, I always think like I've never bought, I've, I don't think I've ever bought, and I buy records all the time, I don't mm. think I've ever bought one from a gig because I don't want to be standing around with, with, a, huge record. with a huge record and worried that someone's going to bump into me and, yeah. uh, you know, it's going to fall on the ground and someone's going to stand on it, you know. Yeah. A CD you can conceal, a tape yeah. you can definitely conceal, <laughs> but you know. Yeah, and I like that you make the coffee reference because I think people do have a problem buying music, and I still think that people should. Sorry, but I'm a musician, I do think. You mean that. you mean you think people should buy it? Yeah, I think yeah, people I should think... buy music. I mean, because there's some people who are like, hey, music should all be free, and it's like, oh, really? Well, why? Because it costs still costs thousands. Of I, even though I produce an album, I still get it mastered. Yeah, yeah. You know. It is. It's and why not spend the you know how much does a glass of wine in New Zealand cost now? Oh no, twenty five dollars. <laughs> so it's like compared to whatever it is, compared to like buying an album online, yeah, is it yeah. such a big deal? Like why exactly. do people can because they go like oh, I can just get it, but why is it such a big deal? Yeah, yeah. I just bought a coffee for five bucks. I I just yeah. I, look, I'm I'm the same. I mean, obviously, I get sent a bit of music. Um, 
to review free, yeah. but that's a job that I'm doing. Um, but I still go out and buy stuff, mm. and and I, um, you know, I buy records because I like to. I guess that is my my musical version of mindfulness is mm. to step away from the computer, mm. put the record on, and actually sit down mm. with a record and be slightly unplugged from sending thoughts out into the world the whole time and mm. and, and and receiving music through shitty computer speakers. So that's there's that, but I just. I don't know, I was thinking about this with regard to, you know, the writing that I do and that lots of other people do that just appears online now. It's it kind of a little bit similar in that um, people, the biggest outrage people have is they want to say, I can't believe you got paid for doing this, which is a giant assumption in the first place because a mm. lot of times we don't, mm. you know, and, we, and certainly don't get paid anywhere near what someone thinks. But just that, yeah, we've created this culture where people want something instantly. Mm. And it needs to affirm what they already thought and knew and liked. Yep. And if it doesn't, it can't be any good. Mm. It, it must be, you know, something for them to react against. It can't be any good. It, it can't just exist and have them confirm their own thoughts by disagreeing with the article. They mm. have to be angry that the person wrote it. And uh, and they have to, and they got it on a platform that they're essentially they're not paying f- to receive the information and read yep. it. It took them no time at all. Only the well, whatever time they decided, but they're angry about it, and it's like this cost you nothing. Mm. You think this person that wrote it got paid more than they did for it, mm. and and you seem to be angry about that. Go find something else to read. You know, yeah. it's it's, it's really easy to and, find something and else to read. Exactly, and you know, and and in keeping with you know what you're saying, step away from your computer and go and buy a book and sit down yeah. under a tree in a park somewhere and read the thing that you've actually spent half an hour choosing mm. and then you'll hopefully have a very happy reading experience that yeah. you've that you've bought and paid for you know but we seem to be moving further and further away from that that we want instant and immediate access to everything but it also it almost um you know the argument is is not okay that's cool so we should be satisfied and mm. we're allowed to disagree with it but we should be satisfied we received it it's kind of like it's people are entering into it wanting to be at cross purposes with what they're accessing and it's like why are you bothering to access it in the first place yeah or if you i don't know what i don't i'll never understand the whole troll phenomenon i think it's Mm. just because we can be we can respond and there's no one there to see so you know someone might come up to you and say like i hated that newspaper review that you did but it's unlikely you know maybe they'll write a letter in and they'll Mm. think about it but you can troll i mean i can't i really often can't read comments you know i'm a brown person and i'm a woman Mm. and often i've read the immediate comments you'll see on stuff are so racist Mm -hmm. i'll be like i just don't i don't read comments about anything because they're just people just let open the slather and it doesn't mean that you know just because there's uh, 20 horrible comments that that that's the like the percentage of people that didn't like something it's just that people feel really free to be to be really vocal because mm. there's no one to see you and I, I just heard of somebody was just telling me about a study that if they put the person's name like if people have to put their own name, name. They're, they're actually a lot nicer yeah of course they are yeah well that's why i was i, I always to this think it's funny people will, will go on an article I've written that's got my name mm. and my photo and call me a troll and it's yeah. like but they'll do it under a fake name themselves it's <laughs> just like well fucking what's going on here like yeah. you know yeah you're allowed to, you're allowed to disagree with what I said you're actually you're of course you're allowed to be upset mm. with what I mm. said and I might have really overstepped the mark yeah you know but don't just reduce that down to you know 
you're a troll, spelt mm. wrong, under a pen name, you know, like, yeah. come at me and say, this was offensive because of this, or this was just plain wrong because of this, Yeah. and, you know, my name is blah, 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 but no, people won't do that. Yeah. They'll never do that. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's fair enough, if, if there's a critique, to just, you know, to use your mind and be critical, and I think that a lot of people online find it hard to, because your emotions get engaged. To listen to what mainstream media says about any artist is a really slippery slope because they love Absolutely. to lance people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about it's all about rating and hating. It's all about um, you know following trends and fads and yeah. and and having a hero and a villain, right? Yeah. And so that's a very limited dialogue. Yeah, you know, that's a very limited dialogue when it's when it's um, either or. Yeah. And so you know, I I always use the example, and I sound like a giant apologist saying this, but um, you know. Phil Collins is one of those guys who sort of sometime a while ago people just decided he was completely not cool and therefore awful. Yeah. And it's like the reissues of his albums have come out and I said something about, you know, listening to the reissue of Face Value is really amazing. And a whole lot of people just went, oh, no, you must have terrible taste. And it's like nothing you're saying is proving that you've actually listened to this. Yeah. At all. So, like, it's fine if you don't like it. Yeah. But you're not actually... You know, there's no proof that you've bothered to listen to this, and so how can you really properly comment, you know, yeah. in any valid form, yeah, when you haven't? And I guess that's a sort of, I, I guess, you know, people would say, well, why would I bother listening to something if I don't like it? You know, mm. I've heard a couple of songs on the radio and I don't like it, but that's just such a limited worldview, right? Yeah, like they don't, I guess they don't have to, but no, of course they don't have to. Some people do. No, of course they don't have to, <laughs> yeah. but then they then they also shouldn't feel the need to wave their opinion around like, yeah, it's, like it's some important flag when it's not because yeah. it's it's based on a very very small sort of window of opportunity yeah that's true you know so i guess that's yeah it, it, that's an infinite topic though isn't yeah. it it's, it's it's we're all kind of baffled and fascinated by that and like, i've got to say i mean i hate i hate sort of troll stuff that happens and then every now and then you read a comment and I think shit. That's actually very funny on a oh, that's cool. on a witty level, and I crack yeah. up, and I you know, and but then sometimes it's sort of like how far does that go between being witty and actually offensive? You know, yeah. like there's I don't know. It's, it's it's a very weird sort of area that yeah yeah. You know, there's there are some people that are I think writing some pretty funny things. Yeah, but the reason they do it is perhaps what's what's strange you know again it comes back to that sugar rush yeah validation yeah i sometimes you know, i sometimes i want 97 really... thumbs up on a <laughs> yeah. youtube comment or i'm not going to do it kind of yeah. thing you know yeah, but, yeah it depends on your mindset like sometimes i'll nearly write something and go actually does the world really does anyone really need not the world does anyone yeah, yeah. really need to re- read this you know this fuck comment. i think about that just before i post just about anything yeah in terms of writing I sort of go and then I have to remind myself not to think about that otherwise I wouldn't post anything yeah well you know, you're, like, yeah, you're in a position where you need to be generating content content yeah. yeah yeah but even just the reduction of it being called content yeah frustrates me yeah know? that's like, true yeah do you you know are you going to release a bunch of content or is no, it no yeah, exactly you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. It, are they songs or is it just you know yeah. 12 tracks of content yeah no I really feel for what um just anybody that is generating content because that's what it is and people are you know that's what it is on the internet wherever. yeah 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 and it and it gets i guess it's undervalued because we need so much so fast and yeah. we want to just choose very quickly that's what, what i say we chew through it and we'll just spit stuff out but 
that would be fine to spit it out, but it's that pausing to condemn something mm. for even existing when you could have actually just glossed over it yeah. quite easily. Like, yeah. I sort of feel like it's a picky battle scenario, and yeah, people exactly. aren't, aren't, a lot of people aren't. Admittedly, it's not really for me to tell people what they should and shouldn't do, but mm. people aren't picking their battles that wisely when they get caught in. Because yeah, it can feel like, I've done that sometimes where I'll troll about something that I feel really strongly about and I'm just like, oh, I can't believe someone's saying this and it's mm. and I just really feel about the topic and then I'll spend like an hour writing something and I just think, wow, did I just really waste that time? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes someone will go, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. So you never know. Because, yeah. well, you know, because I was thinking that same thing and it was, you know, some things can be really upsetting. And, you know, and it's, yeah, exactly. And it's like, why why just let it exist why yeah. just go you know it's I, I, I sort of I try to believe that usually you can make pe- people can will make themselves look pretty silly with what they say mm-hmm. and you can usually just leave it there but sometimes what they say is really offensive to yeah. you know maybe not to me but to you know a whole race of people a whole exactly. a whole gender yeah you know both yeah uh, you know what it, and, and all sorts of things in between and yeah, I worry about where we're getting to too with social media where, you know, am I responsible, what I post on my Facebook page, am I responsible for the fight that two other people have yeah. over that content because I'm kind of temporarily hosting it, yeah. sort of third party hosting it or whatever, yeah. and I just, I go, I go away, I go away and I chat to you <laughs> for two hours and I go back to check, to check my Facebook page and two people are at each other's throats. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Am I, you know... Am I supposed to get in there and moderate in some sense? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. My argument is no, no. I'm not. Fuck it. But yeah. like, when's the law coming in? Yeah, that, yeah, you know yeah. that you have to be a responsible mm. content farmer, which yeah. is kind of sickening and frightening. That's true. I mean, I really wonder if, I again, it's like you look at these things from the bigger picture and go, this sort of very fast way that we're dealing with things now is this going to be something that we get into more? Can it yeah. go faster? Yeah. Or will we look back and go, whoa, weird. that was really weird. It was like yeah. we were all high on some weird drug, mm. you know, that was called, you know, fast social media mm. or whatever. And then we've actually slowed <laughs> down slowed now. Right <laughs> yeah, and everyone can go like, well, it's like the cocaine era or something. You know, because it won't be the full revolution and um, access through computers. That won't happen no. for, for any time soon, if no. at all. But yeah, will, will we slow right down? But then, you know, do you want to dial up connection? No, no. <laughs> you know, like, Definitely if you're not. just checking your email and you've got time to wait for just one email you're you're waiting for, yeah. do you want to go and sit and meditate for 20 minutes while your one email arrives? <laughs> yeah, no, you, no, 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 you don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't want to do that. No, no. I just think with the speed issue that we... Yeah, if we... I, I, yeah, I guess it just comes back to... I'm, I'm repeating myself now, but I guess... I think it can... Going really fast and being really busy can just make us really sad, and and there's so much evidence to support that mm. theory. Mm. Right? They like read these books and books about it. Sweet and pastiche pastry of time going by, puffy pleasures with no eyes, custard-filled wishes of no tomorrow.